Um, we appreciate you. I'm glad you're here tonight. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to jump into chapter 4. Uh, we've been rolling through Philippians. I, I, I hope it's been good for you guys. It's been a good study for myself um, as I'm preparing each week to, to teach through it. Uh, there's been a lot of convicting things. There's been a lot of really encouraging things to me. And hopefully tonight will be more of the, the very practical, very encouraging um, just some things that, that ought to look different in my life because of the truth that Paul has already given the church at Philippi, right? There's, there's things he's saying, look, these things are true, and if these things are true, and they are, these things ought to be the impact on your life. And that's some of the stuff we're going to see tonight, and hopefully that's really good for you guys because it's, it's been awesome for me, and I don't know about you, sometimes it's, it's great to sit through a message and be convicted and be challenged and and want to change, and then, then I'm like, so what do I do first? What, what should look different in my life? What, what steps do I need to take? And that's, that's hopefully what Paul's going to give us tonight. He's going to at least tell us what should look differently from what it looked like before Christ. Right? In your life, in my life, what should look different after you know, coming into a relationship with him? So if if we would start off and, and look at Philippians chapter 4, the ver- first word of the first verse says, therefore, right? And therefore means he said something ahead of time, and therefore this is the conclusion. And so that's what we're going to look at here in a minute. Uh, a few weeks ago we talked about, you know, going into the danger zone. If we're going to follow Paul as he follows Christ, it's going to mean that things are going to get not just necessarily dangerous, but but it's going to require change. And sometimes, for those of us who like to control all aspects of life and don't want any risk, well, that, that can feel a little bit dangerous. But Paul's warning us, you, you can't go further and remain the same. If you're going to walk with Christ, he wants you to look like him. And, and the fact is, we don't in all areas of our lives, right? And, and so he wants to give us the opportunities to grow and to be changed and, and to look more like him this pursuit of Christ is going to change you. That's what Paul was trying to get us to see. As a matter of fact, you've already changed if Jesus is your personal Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we've talked about the battle between the flesh and the spirit and it's a very real and very difficult battle, right? It's a very difficult enemy. The day that you gave Christ the throne as the Lord of your life, you became a new creature. That's a promise. That's a fact. You were given access to something that no humans had in the Old Testament, and that's the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Right? He, 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 in the Old Testament, you'd read stories where the, the Spirit of God would dwell and would rest on somebody, and they would be empowered by the Spirit, but then, then he would leave, right? And there was kings who had the Spirit of God on them, and then when they decided not to obey God and they got selfish and, and stupid, basically, then the Spirit left. We're a new creature. We have the Spirit on the inside. He dwells inside of us. He doesn't leave, right? We're something new altogether. The Spirit of God resides in us, and not only has he changed our eternity, he should have a direct impact on your life right here and right now. That's what Paul's telling us. Because these things are true, therefore, not only are you a new creature, 
all relationships should be different. All interaction with everybody should be different. Your interaction with God should be different. And this is why I've chosen the title, A New Here and Now. Because it's not for later that he saved us. He saved us right now for now. So that we could have a different life, so that we can have a different outlook, so that we could have an impact on other people. So let's begin reading chapter 4, verse 1. We'll pick up, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And I think I said last week, I was studying for last week's message at the end of chapter 3, and and God rocked my world with that passage right here, just the first verse. And he said, how do you look at my church? Do you see the church that way? Are your brothers and sisters in Christ dearly beloved? Are they longed for or are they tolerated? Do they give you joy or is it just something you have to do? He goes on, I beseech you, Iodius, I'm going to make up my own pronunciation for these, you're just going to go with it. I beseech you, Iodius, I beseech you, Sintichi, Sintichi, you got a better, you got a better one, we'll, we'll go with that that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, there's some incredible promises here. And all of this is connected to being a new creature. This is all connected to being in Christ. These are things that, that you say should be different here and now. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to get it. Help us to get the practical steps. Help us to get and understand that this, this should be what my life looks like when I interact with others. And if it doesn't, I'm missing something, and I need to look in the mirror of your word, and I need you to change me from the inside out. Lord, confront us, convict us, encourage us, challenge us with your word tonight. We want to be who you want us to be. We want to experience it now. And we want the world to be changed because you chose to use us, and we're privileged to be used. Lord, we love you. We, we want to stand in obedience and surrender. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so Paul has laid out for us four aspects of our lives that should be different because we are in Christ. The first is our interaction with other believers, a connection to the church. It's our connection to the church. In verse 1 again, he says, Therefore, my dearly beloved, my brethren dearly beloved, and longed for my crown, or my joy and crown. You guys are going to have to read this for me. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. The question that God had for me is, how do you see my redeemed? Do you see them like Paul? Do you find joy in helping Or do do their burdens weigh you down and wear you out? Are they a crown or are they inconvenient? Man, the Lord 
the Lord gave me an attitude adjustment last week, and I needed it. It's not that I don't love you guys. It's not that I don't appreciate and value and want to be helpful, but, but I was feeling sorry for myself because carrying other people's burdens makes you tired. And, and picking up broken people cuts you, right? And it, and it hurts, and getting involved with dirty people, you get messy. And I was feeling sorry for myself, and God said, why? Don't you love them? Doesn't that bring you joy when you can pick somebody up? Man, it was convicting. That hurt, and I needed it. It was good for me. And it's so awesome that, that God continues you know, to humble me when I need it. He says in this passage, in the midst of all of those you know, definitions of the body, he says, stand fast in the Lord. So on, on your sheet, I have a definition, and it's basically just a bunch of synonyms. This, this definition of this word fast does not mean quick, quick or fast moving, right? That's not what it's talking about. And we're not talking about a fast where we, you know, refrain from eating for a time. Those are also definitions of fast. But for this specific usage, it's something that is set, something that is stopped, fixed, pressed close, immovable, fastened. That's where the, the word is connected directly. Hold, firm in adherence. Right, if you go down the aisle in Lowe's and, and there's all the screws and nuts and bolts and everything, everything in that aisle in the general category is called a fastener because it holds fast to whatever you connect it to. It's going to hold it in place. And he's saying, how do you look at the church? How do you look at your brothers and sisters? You need to hold fast to them together. Man, can you do that if, if you're in disagreement? Can you do that if there's strife? Can you do that if you just don't like that person? Can you do that if you're being selfish, like I was? He tells two individuals in verse 2, and this is letter A, have the same mind. Eodius, Sintichi, right? I beseech you. He says, that word means I beg you. Have the same mind in the Lord. How would you like it if your name and some other dude or some other lady's name that you're not getting along with is preserved for all of eternity in God's word that you couldn't get along? That's these two guys. Man, that, that's wonderful. No thanks. I'll make it work, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate the heads up. Man, it's too late. They're in there for eternity. Hey, you two? You need to be of the same mind. You need to humble yourself. You need to get along. You need to have the mind of Christ. We've seen that, right? Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. You wanna know why you can't get along with people? Because your reputation, because of their reputation, because your feelings got hurt, or theirs did, or both. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what you won't do if you pick up your cross? You won't fight with people. 
You won't argue with people. You won't have to be right. You won't have to have the last word. You're carrying your cross. You're, you're where you belong. You've counted it as dung, as we saw last week. We talked about this being a war. It's a battle like nothing else you've experienced or witnessed. Right? This, is, this is the Christian life. Remember Zach, Zacharias Tiboricles? <laughs> Zach taught us a couple weeks ago, right? This, this whole thing's backwards. This whole thing's opposite. This battle is, is not where you just have to muster up more self-will, and you just have to fight that much harder, and you just have to give it that much more. You just need to be more determined. No, you win. Get this. You win by surrender. It's backwards. It doesn't make any sense. But the battle is not with the enemy necessarily, the battle is with, the, the battle's with your mind. It's with your own heart. It's with your own desires. It's with your own selfishness. And you win when you surrender, when Christ gets his way, because he's always going to win. You win by getting your nose in God's word, putting God's word in your heart, and putting your knees on the ground. That's when you get victory. You humble yourself. You agree with God, and you get on your knees and beg him for help. And when you can't, then God will. When you can't go on anymore, when you can't accomplish it, that's when God goes to work. He says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. It's a promise. So we need to have the same mind. The second thing he says is we need to have the same care. We need to have the same thoughts and care and concern for the body that this one lady, or these ladies that he calls out, he doesn't call them by name. And in verse three, he says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, there's a nice name. If you happen to be a true yoke fellow, this is the thing that you're gonna take serious. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Last week, Paul said, mark those individuals that show maturity, that show self-sacrifice for the Lord. Mark those people and follow them because that's exactly what they're doing. They're doing, they're doing what Paul did. He gave us everything for the cause of the gospel. Anybody else that's doing that, Paul says, they're okay by me, follow them too. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Paul marks some ladies here and he says, not only follow their example, but provide for their needs if they have any. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What was that price? It was the life of Jesus Christ, wasn't it? It was his blood poured out for you and for that same individual you just can't get along with. Why is it necessary that he points out that these are the ones whose names are in the book of life? Who are you? Who am I to judge who I will and will not help? based on my prejudices. Right? Who, who can I not get along with that Christ bled out and died for? What an arrogant fool am I to not be able to just get over my prejudices, my ego, my attitude. Who can't you get along with in the body of Christ? Who can you not forgive? 
And maybe you say, you know, you, know, you don't understand, you don't know what they did. I don't trust them. I just don't even trust them. When the Lord told Peter that he had to forgive 70 times seven, that's 490, right? He wasn't telling him to keep track until the 490th time. You can finally say, bye-bye. Is that, if you're keeping track, have you forgiven? That's the point, Peter. Well, 49, or we're getting there. One of these days, I'm just not going to have to care about you anymore. Because you do a lot right now, I can tell. He wasn't telling Peter to keep track until they mistreat you for the 490th time. He was saying, forgive them and love them. He didn't say you should forget everything. He didn't say you had to trust them completely. He said, love them and trust me. I got it under control. They're my child. If they need discipline, I'll take care of it. I don't need you to not love them and show them and put them in their place. That's not your job. That's above our pay grade. Right? Because we're in Christ, your communication with the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ should be different than it used to be before you knew Christ. It should be different. Number two, our communication to the lost world should be different as well. We have a message to the lost. Verse five says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation is self-control, right? It's having things under control. Let your moderation be known unto all men. This is used only one time in this place in scripture. It's also translated gentle. It's translated patient, right? In order to be gentle, does that mean you're not powerful? No, that means you're under control, right? You've read of mice and men, and the big dude gets all excited, and he smashes the rabbit or the mouse or whatever. He's got no control, right? Lenny, is that his name? He loves that little pet, and then it's gone. Dang, I killed it again. That's, That's not gentle. He could until he loses control, be gentle, right? He has no self-control. Sorry, that was, that was a little weird. <laughs> we live in a world that has no self-control, right? We, we live in a world of immediate gratification. We live in a world of my rights at your expense. Don't you dare tell me about your rights. I got rights. Tell me about your rights. I don't care. I got rights. This world demands fair treatment of me at the cost of everyone else. Doesn't matter. That's anarchy, by the way. That doesn't work. Ask yourself, what am I putting on display? Is it different from what the world puts on display around me? Do I have to have the last word? Do I have to be right? Second Timothy says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this know also that in the last days, Perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of them, their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does that not sound exactly like the world we live in? It's a mess. So when you're at work or school, do you get consumed with the gossip around you? Do you find yourself constantly complaining about your work environment, your boss, your job? Do you laugh at the dirty jokes? Do you love attention more than you love God? See, we're, we're okay with standing out as long as we're the best or the funniest in comparison to the world in the same category that they're in. But we're not okay standing out if we're different. If we stand for something that matters. If we stand for the Lord, we're not okay with that. That's uncomfortable, that's lonely, that's difficult. But if I can make the fellows laugh, I don't mind standing out there. Paul says, from such, turn away. And the question that's kicking me in the gut is, is he talking to me? Is he telling others to turn away from me? Am I behaving that way? Do I fall in one of these categories? What stands out in this world today is moderation. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Well, what does that even mean? That means have self-control. That means submit yourself to the, to the word of God and start walking according to it, and you know what's going to happen? People are going to notice that you're different because they can't do that. It's not in your flesh to do that. Your flesh is built so that the system that's built will take advantage of it and drag you right along with everybody else. First Corinthians 6, 7 says, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. We know that the Corinthian church was a mess, and every chapter we get to was a different problem where they just couldn't get along, and it was me over we, and, and Paul was confronting them time and time again. This specific time, they were taking each other to court. He says, why do you not rather just take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Don't you think that would stand out if you didn't have to be right? If, if you didn't have to stand up for your rights? If you didn't have to be heard or justified or have the last word? What if you just took it and it was okay and you didn't lose your cool and you didn't lose your self-esteem and you didn't lose your self-worth? You just knew, yeah, that was unfair. Wouldn't that stand out? I, ha I had an instance. <laughs> of all instances in my life, I have one story when I think I did it right. And I made a mistake when I was working at Great All, and a guy called me on the phone and said, hey, this thing's going on. There's a mess out on the line. And I said, oh, boy. I think that's my fault. And he said, what? Well, 
It's my fault. Well, that's refreshing. It's like, well, not for me. <laughs> I screwed it all up and I gotta go fix it. When you, when you just do what's right and you just take it on the chin and you don't have to hide it and you don't try to explain it and you don't have to blame somebody else and you just take responsibility. You have moderation. You have self-control. You put that on display for people, they're gonna want to know how in the world did you do that there's nothing inside of me that even wants to do that. But I, but I want to be able to. There's utterly a fault in you, Paul says. Why don't you just allow yourselves to be defrauded? The reason we need our moderation to stand out is because, letter B, the second coming is coming. The Lord is coming back. He says, the Lord is at hand. This is the reason we live differently. This is the message a life of moderation is pointing to. Christ is coming back. The question is, are you ready? So when your moderation stands out, what do you do with that? Oh yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a good old boy. I'm just a good guy. No, the only way I can pull this off is Christ has changed me. He's made me different. My, my interactions are different. I can't do those things anymore. I just can't, I can't get away with it. I can't allow my heart to go down that road. He's changed me. I care too much about what he thinks to worry about what you think about me. I want you to see him. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31 says, but this I say, brethren, the, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. This isn't saying, man, don't get married, and if you are married, treat your wife badly because Christ is more important. It's not saying any of those things. He's saying, look, moderation, Self-control. Don't abuse what you have. Use it. Leverage it. Get Christ's name out there. It's just more important because time is running out. We're almost out of time. What will he find you obsessing over when he returns? How unfair you've been treated or how your loved ones don't know him yet? A new car, a house, a spouse, that's, didn't mean to rhyme that. People seeing him through what consumes you. Not only should we have a difference in interaction with the church and with the lost, we also have a message to the Lord. We're gonna, we skipped verse four, we'll come back to that. We're in verse six now. A message to the Lord. Verse six, he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Letter A is careful for nothing. We'll see what, this, what he's talking about here. We see it in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. It's the story of Mary and Martha. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his every word, and Martha She's working her tail off in the kitchen and she's getting the dishes washed and she's getting the food prepped and oh, there's that no good Mary in there still not doing anything, right? She's, 
She's getting upset. She goes into Christ and says, why don't you tell her to get to work, right? She's sitting around doing nothing. I'm in here slaving for you. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. That word careful, just switch it around. She's full of care. She's consumed with care. She's worried. She's worried about what Mary's doing. She's worried about what Jesus is doing. She's worried about what everybody thinks. She's worried. And he says, settle down, <laughs> right? And then, he's, then he goes the extra mile and says, I know you're upset with Mary, but she actually chose the better part. <laughs> I'm sure that made her feel wonderful, right? His message to her is, why are you letting your anxiety and your worries and your frets and the things you cannot control are controlling you? Why? Why is that? What controls your decisions and attitude? The things you're worried about or the things that God has promised? When you're worried about something or full of care, do you tend to try to control more things in your life? Or do you tend to trust that the Lord loves you and that he's got a plan? Well, I mean, I know the right answer. <laughs> but man, when, when I've got worries and I've got concerns and things are getting out of hand, then I want to I just put the clamps down on everything and, and control as much as I can. I'm going to control the chaos. I don't necessarily want to give more trust to the Lord. Matthew 6, 25 through 33 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, taking thought, can add one cubit Unto his stature. Vin, has that ever worked? Okay, just checking. <laughs> and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not. They don't even have to work at it. They just grow. Neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. There's the kicker, isn't it? Fear is the opposite of faith, and, and it manifests itself that way. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. And they don't know God, is what it's saying. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Like we have needs and we have wants. The needs, he says right here, look, if, if you focus on my kingdom, if you focus on loving me, if you focus on just following what I say to do, all that stuff is guaranteed taken care of. The other category, the wants, well, we'll see that next week. Because he learned something about that and Paul's gonna share it with us. When it all becomes too difficult, and it, it often does, 
Paul says, let your requests be made known unto God. Right? We have worries, we have fears, we have difficulty in life. That is the reality. He's not saying, look, you know, if, if you're worried at all, if you've ever been concerned, phew, where's your faith? Now, if, if your fears control you, he's saying, where's your faith? But fear is real, and difficulty is real, and not knowing what to do is real, and not knowing how to respond, that's all real life. And when you get there, he says, what are you going to do? Hopefully, letter B, you're going to cry for help, and you're going to cry to him. 1 Peter 5, 7 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know the God of the universe wants you to put your concerns and cares at his feet? Sometimes, I think that's the only reason I need him, is to remember that I need him. The reason I need some adversity in my life is to remember I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all under control. One of my best friend's dad just died this weekend. That poor family has no idea what to do. And God doesn't expect them to. He expects them to cry for help and he's going to be there. He's right there. Paul says, all the things consuming your heart, just pour those out to Christ. He's right there. He can handle it all. He wants it all. If you ever have a problem you don't know what to do with, go, go to the book of Psalms and start reading until you find yourself. Because David had most of your problems and more. And David complained about him. And God was okay with it. And David found a way at the end of each psalm to realize, oh, that was, that was kind of petty. God is awesome. He's still awesome. My problems are real. My problems are difficult. But God is right here. He's always going to get me through. He says in verse 6 of Philippians 4, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Supplication is a prayer of worship. Thanksgiving is not just a family meal in November. Thanksgiving is our approach to God. Right? Because of what he's done, we have so much to be thankful for. And if we approach him in thanksgiving and in worship with our requests, he's going to take care of it. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the, the, the disciples ask Jesus, you know, how, how should we pray? And he answers them, he says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. What does he start off with? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. You know what you start with? You start with worship, because he's worth it. Even, even though life's hard, and, and people are hard to get along with, and people are difficult, and, and circumstances are bad, he says, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know what that's saying? My life, take my life and do in my life what you want to do with it. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you say in heaven, it goes. I I want that to be this way here. You know how you do that? You just start obeying what he says to do. What is he asking you to do? Do it. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. 
provide the things that you already promised you were going to provide anyway. He, he worships. He tags on to a guarantee from God, and he says, yeah, I know you guaranteed that. I'm going to go ahead and put my order in anyways. Right? I'd like that bread you promised, this daily bread you promised to provide. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Before he ever gets to any requests, he makes sure God knows, I know who you are, God. And again, look, David, David had all kinds of psalms the other way around, where he just started off with complaining. He started off with fear. He started off with all of those honest, real-life struggles. And God was okay with it. But if you're going to do it as Jesus prescribes, he says, start the other way around, you'll be better off. But God can handle your woes and my problems. He can absolutely handle it. He says, worship, then request. It's difficult to worship when life has fallen apart. Pour out your heart to God. He's there. So in Christ, we're a new creature. Our interactions with both the saved and the lost should be different. Our interactions with God, to God, should be different. You didn't even have access to cry out to God for help before. Before having Christ in you, now you have direct access to God. And the last thing Paul shows us is that what's available to us is different as well. And point four is provision from the Lord. Not only do we have a different interaction with God in what we say and how we reach out to him and what we can take to him, we get something in return. In letter A, we, we're going to go back to verse 4, and that's rejoicing. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, we just had the, you know, the communication to God. This is, this is kind of communication to God, and at the same time it's a response to what he's given us. Right? This is both how we communicate to him and recognition of what he's provided. Back in chapter 3, we saw in uh, verse 3 what rejoicing in Christ was all about. He says, we are the circumcision, the spiritual circumcision, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Right? We saw to, to rejoice in Christ means that we don't put any confidence in what we can do in our own power, in our own intelligence. We put all our confidence in him. So are you talented? Are you hardworking? Are you attractive? I hope so, right? Are you a good friend? Are you strong? Are you relentless? Are you intelligent? Do you have a great family? Good work ethic? God gave all of that to you. You didn't just become so attractive or so smart. Or, you, know, you work at it. You improve things. But God gave all of that to you. The lesson we saw was don't trust in those things. Praise the Lord for them and use those things for his glory. Right? He has given us provision. He has provided. And so if we're going to rejoice in the Lord, we're going we're to rejoice in when he comes through for us, not when I figure it out all on my own without God. And the thing that he provides with us, or provides us with as well, is letter B, peace. And we'll wrap up here in just a minute. Peace. 
Looking at the last verse in this passage, verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you know what the battle is for? The, the battle that, that Satan cares about, the battle that God cares about, the battle that Christ died for was, it was for your mind and for your heart. So that your mind would understand who he is and who you are in light of that truth. And your heart would understand your need for him and not be drawn away with the lusts of this world, but be drawn to him and accept him as savior. The battle is for your mind and your heart even after you're saved. Because this world has filled your head or is trying to fill your head with so much garbage. The only way, the, the only way to, to see straight and follow the Lord is if you get a real brainwash and you take the word of God and you wash your mind clean from what this world says is true and you put what's actually true in there. That's the only way. The battle is for your mind. And everybody loves this verse when they need it, but no one wants to need this verse that the peace of God passeth all understanding. You know what that means? That means you're going through something that you can't understand. Why does it have to be this bad? Why did this have to happen? Why him? Why them? Why this? Why me? I need the peace that passes understanding. Notice the first word of this verse is and. You don't get the peace that passes all understanding without verse 6. Because it's connected, right? Conjunction, junction. What's the function? It's connection here. It doesn't work without verse 6 because there's an and. Verse 6 says, be careful for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Praise Him. Worship him, beg him for help, and the peace that passes all understanding is yours to access. It's a promise. He's there. He's always there. So in conclusion, Paul has shown us what it looks like to be a new creature. What it looks like to be in Christ. It means that you have access to eternity. Hallelujah. It means someday you're going to get a new body. And as this old thing just keeps breaking down more and more, I say, hallelujah. Right? That's going to be great. But it also means that here and now, here and now is supposed to be different. You're not supposed to be the same guy you were before Christ came along. You're not supposed to be the same lady that you were, consumed with the same things that you were consumed with before Christ came along. You notice before, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but he's pointed in all directions. He said, in Christ, your communication with the church should be different. In Christ, your communication with the world should be different. In Christ, your access to God is now different. And in Christ, what God provides to you is now different. This is all the directions covered. Everything should be different now. And it's all because of what Christ did for you and me. We're all different because of what we have in Christ if he's on the throne of your life. I've got a quote on here and we'll finish with this. 
God will not give me humility or patience or holiness or love as separate investments of his grace. He has given me only one gift, or he has given only one gift to meet our need, his son, Christ Jesus. It's all there. It's all in Christ, and it all should be different. And if it's not, you have some practical things to talk to God about. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for pointing out for some of us the obvious. Things we should know, and we just need, you hear, need to hear you say it out loud. I'm thankful to be used for that, and, and I know that you've been doing that in my heart this week, and so I just pray, Lord, please help us to, to know practically, personally, what you want me to do. Each one of us to be able to say that. Lord, I know what you want me to do. I know a relationship that should be different in my life. I know somebody I need to ask forgiveness of. I know some place I need to humble myself. I know some conversations I need to get myself away from. I know what I need to do. Lord, we humble ourselves and we submit ourselves to you and to your truth. Please instruct us. Please show us what we actually look like so that we can, we can allow you to change it. We want to look like you. We want our moderation to scream out to this crazy world. Jesus Christ is real. Look what he did for me. Look what he's done. He's changed everything. Lord, open doors for us, please. Give us boldness. Give us the boldness to have self-control in the midst of the world that doesn't. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.